I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom World Cup Daily Podcast. We didn't just not get a close game today. We actually got the biggest mauling in the history of men's World Cup cricket. Australia beat the Netherlands by a colossal 309 runs after the hundreds from David Warner and Glenn Maxwell. Maxwell's was a record-breaking effort, the fastest in World Cup history and the fourth fastest of all time in ODI cricket. We'll talk about that game, preview England, Sri Lanka and discuss the lack of close games so far in the tournament. I'm Yasrana, and with me today is Ben Gardner. Ben, let's start with Maxwell, a genuinely incredible innings. It's a high-scoring ground, but this is a decent Dutch attack. He didn't face his first ball until the 41st over, and he walked off the field in the 50th over with a 40-ball 100. Eight sixes, nine falls in 44 deliveries at the crease. That was very special. Yeah, I mean, that that's my favourite stat from the lot is that he faced his first ball in the 41st over. That's that that that's a record among many records that uh, that he set today. Uh, and you had it in the comparison to David Warner's also very good 100, but and he didn't even really crawl to 100. He didn't get to face that many balls through it. He was just knocking singles and someone else at the other end. And he took about eight overs to get there. And in the same time span, Maxwell basically had 100. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it was ridiculous, and uh, and and also like this is a good Netherlands bowling attack, you know, like we've seen in in World Cups, uh, batters feast on you know the bowling attack of a lower team, but Netherlands are are here for a reason, and, and we saw some of that even you know in the early stage of of the game, I guess, um, and then he just completely took the game away from them. The, the, the two shots in particular, one which he got to to fifty, which was it was a, a reverse, uh, like. A reverse slog, a reverse sweep, sort of, but that doesn't do it justice at all, right? It was a, it was a, like a proper Yorker. It was, and it it was, was like a hockey shot almost. Yeah, exactly. it, it, it was the speed at which the ball 
flew away from the bat that was remarkable. And it was a pretty well executed Yorker, only missing the, the, the perfect spot by a few inches. Yeah, and, and some of these shots, you understand where they get the power from because they're in like a really sort of like low position hitting from from down to up and they're all kind of like, they're still in it. And he was nothing like that. Like his knees were kind of like half bent. His, his bat was almost like vertical in a way and he just flicks it away and it goes for six. And then the same over, uh, he goes to play the same shot and it's a bouncer this time. And he also hits this one, reverse pull shot again with enough force to to get it for six. And so that, that, that was extraordinary. And it's good that he's come to the party as well. I mean, he has a very good, he's had a very good World Cup record, does, has Maxwell. And he was brilliant for them in the in the 2015 World Cup as that kind of luxury number six option. But he's had a little bit of a lean time of it in, in ODIs. And I don't think, we're going to talk about head a bit later. I don't think his place was under any real threat, but Australia are slowly ticking the boxes that they need to, to be World Cup contenders and him being back in form is, is a big one of those, I guess. Mm. If you haven't watched his innings, you've got to seek out the highlights. Those shots were brilliant, but he was just totally brutal throughout the innings. And uh, the innings were about five minutes long. So yeah. like... <laughs> uh, a word for Baz the leader, 115 off his 10 overs, the most expensive spell in the history of men's ODI cricket, but they're not the worst figures of all time. No, no, those are still Mick Lewis's and Adam Zampers because they, neither of them took a wicket and he, and he took two for, you know, mm. so that's, uh, that's something. Um, briefly, your moment of the game. Uh, yeah, well, it was a, a funny little passage in the space about five balls when Van der Moer grasped one and then caught one. The one that he grasped was uh, David Warner hit it to to mid-wicket. He dives, he sort of catches it, but he's he's kind of half juggling it, which means he presses it to the floor as he lands. The Netherlands team look uh, a bit baffled as it's ruled not out, but they clearly haven't been following the ashes because uh, <laughs> that's exactly what happened to, to, Mitch, uh, to Mitch Stark in that series when he tried to catch uh, Ben Duckett. But Australia were adamant that the start catch should have been out and Smith clearly still feels the same way because he offered Bandamoa a very similar chance cutting to point this time in the in the next over. And this time it was low, but he did hold on properly. So that was that was quite fun, I suppose. Mm. Um, Australia, I think, are probably the most steady side in these sort of games. They're almost immune to upsets. They've got players who are particularly ruthless in these games. Warner with the bat, obviously, but then with the ball, they've got bowlers that players who don't play a lot of games against the best teams in the world are likely not to have come up against bowlers like that. You know, Stark is a 19 mile per hour left arm seamer. The pace, but also the bounce of Hazelwood and Cummins. And then also you've got Zampa who just resent, relentlessly targets the stumps. Like if you think of all the, the big cricket nations, they all have had a semi-recent major 50 over World Cup upset go against them, whereas Australia are probably the only one I think that's right, who, who, who are genuinely immune from those sort of results. What, what, what have you made of their recent run? That's now three wins on the bounce following defeats to India and South Africa. They've got a huge game against New Zealand on Saturday. And it's sort of wonder, now the tournament, we've seen more of the tournament, well, India and South Africa are, are the two most dangerous and explosive sides. So I wonder if actually a lot of us read too much into how Australia did in those two games. Yeah, and, and also, I mean... Uh, Australia's players, some of them hadn't played a huge amount of, of 50 over cricket. And so we were talking about Pat Cummins earlier in the tournament, right? And we were, I guess, sort of fairly enough at that point, questioning his place on the side. But also we were saying that there was no reason kind of a priori that Cummins couldn't work out 50 over cricket. You know, you'd think he had the tools of a middle over bowler. What does a priori mean? Uh, it means like from first principles. So you don't look at him and there's nothing about Cummins that says this guy can't crack ODI cricket. He just wasn't cracking ODI cricket, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, so he was uh so so you know he you know he bowls at a good pace he can succeed on dead surfaces he's got a good short ball all that stuff should make him good middle overs bowler which wasn't quite happening and then he plays a few ODIs and he becomes a bit better at it basically 
uh, and that's going for a few of them. I guess one of the questions about them is, um, is uh, it, it, it's still David Warner, re- weirdly? Like he's obviously had, he's got this, this hundred, he's got the, the, the other big hundred. He's, he's a World Cup titan, but recently we've seen Warner get big scores against some of the weaker sides and not have the same success against some of the best sides. And they will want him to tick that off because if Warner is properly back in form, against and can take on all manners of bowlers that that does change their side and then Travis Head's going to come back in again we're going to talk about him uh so yeah they're 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 good and I mean those that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to see England or Pakistan even though it's not mathematical out of the question and if either of them do go and win all their remaining games then they will have a pretty good shot at the semi-finals uh it's just that those four teams just look too good to to let that happen basically Mm. uh and Australia like after a bit of a wobble fully deserve to be counted among them I think Cody asks, given Head is bound to return, what do you do to try and fit him in? Do you drop a batter in Marnus? Do you drop the all-rounder Green or Stoinis or go in with three quicks? Plus, Marsh, Head is one of the most destructive ODI players in the world. I know that he's not played in a World Cup before, or at least not played a prominent part in a World Cup before, but you can see from the way he bats in Test cricket that his game suits how 50 over cricket's played and his record in the last two years at the top of the order is, is ridiculous. He's going to come in if he's fit, it's likely that he will be fit in the next game or two. How do you think they should get him back on the side? Yeah, I guess there's there's two options, really. They either leave out that seam bowling all-rounder in green or stoyness, which they've uh, gone back and forth. Or maybe, maybe there's three options, but I think there's two real options, which is that or Marnus Labuschagne, who you know was a late entry into the, the World Cup side and World Cup squad um, and uh, could easily be the guy to move aside. There's also maybe Marsh if they want to just keep that, but I, I think that's, that's a lesser option. Um, my instinct is what they will do is leave out Labuschagne, just go back to that formula they've had. But I wonder if it's relevant that today Marsh bowled four overs, bowled them pretty well, and Cam Green wasn't used at all. And then actually, if you then have an opening pair of uh, of Head and Warner, and then Marsh at number three, you've got a, that's a that's a luxury, that's a brilliant top three to have. And so if they come off, you're absolutely fine. You're flying. You promote Maxwell. Maybe you know if 25, 30 overs, you're three down. Maybe you have Smith knock around for a bit. And then if they collapse if you have a bit of a wobble because that could do with three attacking batters then you've got kind of um uh, collapse insurance in smith and labuschagne who can come up and get you up to maybe a defendable total or help you to to rebuild and then you're depending on what zampa cummins hazelwood stark for 40 of your overs that's fine that's pretty bankable and then you've got maxwell head marsh for the other 10 you can probably muddle through that and is stornis or green adding that much more than one of those others relative to what you lose with the bat I don't mm. think so so I think that's what they should do and okay you look at it he's like oh now we've got Maxwell at seven or English at seven but I don't think you need to look at it that way because the batting order will just depend so much on the start you end up getting or not from that top three no it's, it's, an, it's an interesting point Marsh hadn't actually bowled that much before this game and Stoinis he didn't play today because of a niggle has bowled pretty well for them recently so I guess it's like if they don't see that the difference between their bowling is, is that great then I do see why bringing um, head in for, for effectively stoyness would make sense. But I would say, though, I think that the negative to that is potentially Smith and Labuschagne at four and five, or, or how do you fit Marsh, Smith and Labuschagne in the same middle order? Head's going to go up to the top. Warner's going to be up top. Marsh is unwell in the top order, so you'd think he'd bat three. And then Smith and Labuschagne at four and five doesn't feel, you know, look at 
um, Safka, for example, Markram and, and Carson. It's a very different feeling numbers four and five. So I guess that is almost the objection to that balance of the side. Yeah, but I, th- I think it, you just make it dependent on situation. And plus, Smith especially, he can score quickly when the need arises. I mean, he we were on the list of that of fastest hundreds by an Australian. Uh, Smith is four and five. He's got two 60 ball, mm. 62 ball hundreds in the space of a, a week uh, a few years back. So he, he he can do that. But then also it's like, that number four, number five role can just be so different depending on the situation you end up coming in at. And so Australia can always just have two different players depending on what the situation is. If you're 150 for three or 133 or whatever in between overs 25 and 30, you actually don't mind a Steve Smith or a Labashain coming out then. And, uh, you know, you get up to, you can still get up to 350, you get a push at the end. If you end up getting onto a flyer and you're 200 for two, that's when you promote Glenn Maxwell and he mm. comes out and hits a 40 100. I don't like... I do get that it makes the side look weird on paper, but I almost think that's the only place it would look weird. And actually you'd have players coming in in positions that suit them. Just that might be the, the number next to their name is weird, but the actual overs in the game makes sense, I think. Uh, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll discuss the lack of close games at the tournament so far and preview tomorrow's game, England, Sri Lanka. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Chris asks, is the reason that there are no thrillers because more aggressive batting honed in from T20 skills means that targets can be knocked off quicker or targets can become too high through massive scoring in the final 10 overs? Ben, you spent a fair bit of time today looking at uh, the, the lack of close games in the tournament. And it's not that we have short memories. Mm-hmm. Uh, you looked at the numbers. At this point in World Cups, we normally have had a fair few. Why do you think that is the case? Because I, I, firstly, I'd, I would say that people are a little bit too carried away with close games. Just because a game is uh, not close does not mean it was not good. There have mm-hmm. been lots of games, I think, that have actually been really good, very watchable games pretty much until the final point. I think Afghanistan and Pakistan the other day is a really good example of that. Even though on paper Afghanistan get there by eight wickets with more than an over to spare, that game was really not quite in the balance, but you could see that going either way until really quite late on in that game. Pakistan and Sri Lanka is another example of that as well. Um, so I don't think we should get too carried away about close games, but also we haven't had... Any close games? Yeah, so I was trying to because 
was trying to work out, yeah, the percentage of close games per World Cup or how many World Cup games are close, basically. And I was, um, the metric I came up with, and I, I did something similar for the Women's World Cup last year because that was astonishing, the number of close games we were actually getting in that. And it's a similar thing. If you look at uh, wins by three wickets or fewer or inside the last over, um, then that gives you, there's been about 20, I think 29 of those such wins in World Cup history. And then the same, to get the same cutoff for runs is 15 runs, basically. That's the equivalent closest of been 29 of those games uh, in World Cup history, which works out at about one in every eight World Cup games. We've it's had more than that. eight games. Yeah, we've had 24 games. You'd, you'd expect to have three by now and we've had none. Now, so some of those, that, that, there's a bit of, you know, randomness in there. Some of these games could have got to that stage and just didn't. Um, but... Yeah, and it's tricky because it's not just fast scoring. This has been the fastest scoring World Cup, but not by that much. By about four runs per hundred balls is the how high this, how much higher the strike rate is in this one compared to twenty fifteen. But it's part like the batting first thing gets at it a bit that the uh, the, the questioner uh, mentioned because I think teams are just batting and chasing much more differently than they have before. I think like a team who is setting out who is who might set out batting first to make two eighty. And a team who are chasing 280, going about those in very, very different ways. And we've seen some of those games, which might in the past have have been close, have just been absolute walkovers. And even when there's been an early wicket lost or two, teams have then ended up absolutely cruising. So we came up with some examples, didn't we? So the India-Afghanistan game uh, was chasing 35 overs, chasing 280. That that wouldn't have happened at, at previous World Cups. Same with England-New Zealand. New Zealand absolutely uh, cruised that. So I think it's it's a combination of those things. And also... There's an attitude change to chasing. I think in in not necessarily in 2019 necessarily. I don't think things have changed that much, but they have changed in the last few years. In that previously teams used to just try and stay within the game and take the game deep. That was a that was a phrase that commentators used to talk about all the time. Just just take the game deep. Players don't really think about it that way. They see that actually as a high risk approach because you're sort of leaving the game open to weird things happening, even if you've got wickets in hand. Whereas now, teams very much look at chases even around 280, 300 as get it done as quickly as possible. If you've got the momentum, keep the momentum with you. And, you know, as you say, we've had a few chases that have been done in 280, been chasing 35 overs a few times this tournament. I think that is part of it. And just batting first as well, we have just had a, I think it's five or six scores at least of, of 350, 360 plus. Those games are always going to be unlikely to be mm-hmm. chased. And also you do just have quite a few mismatches in this tournament. There seems to be quite a big gap, not necessarily in overall quality, but in terms of ability to get 350 plus scores. I think there are some teams that just can't do it. Mm-hmm. So when that happens against them, you get games like you have today or yesterday where the team batting second is never really in with a shot. Yeah. And I think we are just seeing a gap between that current top four and the rest a bit as well. Like I know that, you know, that maybe the semi-final race still does get close and I guess we'll talk a bit more about that. But I mean, I don't know, we had one upset in that with um, the, the Netherlands taking down South Africa, but that that is feeling more and more like a, a proper shock upset and that those four teams, and, it, and it's weird because, you know, the whole point of a 10-team World Cup should be that every game is a blockbuster. That's the argument is that, you know, you, 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 you keep the bad teams away mm. and that, then you know you've got the ten elite teams exactly. and every game's gonna be brilliant between them, but that's not really it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and and you know, and if you have 
more teams and sometimes those weaker teams also play each other and produce mm. close games. I mean, when you think back to the last non-10 team World Cup we had in 2015, one of the games of that tournament was Afghanistan versus Scotland, wasn't it? Which won mm. by one wicket. And, and that was a brilliant World Cup moment because those are two teams that didn't get much chance on the biggest stage. And also we're seeing the benefits for it from Afghanistan now, I guess, who are the best of of the teams outside of that group, I guess, uh, along with Pakistan, if we're including them in the bottom six. Mm. Um, England have a huge game tomorrow, Sri Lanka at the Chinnaswamy. Um, we were so lost in the toss decision on the podcast yesterday that we didn't really get into possible team makeup that much. Uh, would you make any changes to the England team? Well, you have to, because Reese Topley's not there. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, yeah, <laughs> would, would, would you Reece, you're having a bowl, yeah. So. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Livingston, I think, has to come back. I mean, he it's just an odd decision. He bowled really well in the in the game before the South Africa game. Um, he's, you know, he's got a very handy ODI record. He's a very handy ODI cricketer. Uh, looks like he can be relied upon for 10 overs. I guess that must be more informed the decision. They went with five proper bowlers. Yeah, the more dodged. I think yeah. about that, just such a baffling decision. He's the only genuine all-rounder in this England team. If you define an all-rounder as someone who's likely to bowl you 10 overs and bat in the top seven, mm-hmm. and it's a World Cup in India, and you've dropped him when he's been your most economical bowler. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you'd bring in Livingston for... Well, for I guess, well, Topley is one of the players out, so Livingston yeah. comes in. But I would also, I think, bring in Cass for Willie. I mean, it's it's harsh on Willie. I mean, part of the reason why his figures, everyone's figures were ugly, firstly. And also, he was just struggling with cramp. And it's, I don't think it's going to be as hot tomorrow there in, in Bangalore rather than uh, uh, Mumbai, where they were before. So, um, but I still think England, if they're going to stage some sort of comeback, which I think is very unlikely... They need something that kind of changes the feel of them, and they need just something significantly different within their team. It, that's I don't think that's Bryden Cast exactly as handy a bowler as he is. For me, that's actually maybe Gus Atkinson taking the new ball. I mean, we saw in the hundred how devastating he can be with that. That's you've been firm on this. That's that's how he won his his England call up was mm. because he was taking wickets with the new ball, and he's not really been doing that for England. And England have really struggled with the new ball overall in this in this World Cup. So. That's the kind of thing that could possibly turn, like, you know, give England mm. the, the boost they need. I'm not saying it's likely, but if anything's going to do it, I think it might be that. But it's also potentially, I, I completely agree with you, but it's probably the worst ground in the tournament to try this out. The Chinnaswamy yeah. is really high scoring, really small boundaries. And we saw that spin has gone pretty well there, relatively speaking, so far in the tournament. Iftigar Ahmed took naught for 37 off eight overs against Australia when they got 370. Mm-hmm. So it actually might be the worst possible venue to try out this plan that might work quite well everywhere else. Yeah, although, I mean, it make, that makes new ball wickets even more important, but it does... It's it more that pace it... could properly fly and in, in, in an attack of Atkinson, Carson, Wood, that would leave you relatively vulnerable to that. Yes, true. Yeah, and I wouldn't be against Wood being the one who sits out either. You give yourself a bit more batting insurance for a team who've been shaky. He's England's with that. in for batter. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that is true. Yeah, uh, cruelly deprived of a fifty. Yes. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I mean, oh God, just for the sake of the tournament, England kind of have to win. Otherwise, you're you're relying on 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 Pakistan to make the group decision and no one wants to be relying on Pakistan. (laughs) Um, Nick asks, is David Willey the most poorly treated England white ball player of recent years? Never quite look, looks like he's safe in the squad, constantly changing roles, dropped last minute for a World Cup, calls himself a workhorse for the World Cup he is selected for. And then he lost his contract yesterday in the middle of a World Cup. Yeah, did Willie have a contract or was he just now the only World Cup player not contracted? I'm not 100% sure, but he is the only one in this squad not to have a contract. Yes. 
which the thing is, these contracts, they're not, it sounds harsh, but they're, they're not rewards. They're not like a, you know, they're, they're not handed out because you bowl a certain amount of overs or whatever. Like they're done looking forward. And if you look forward from this tournament onwards, like Willie is, is slipped down the reckoning in T20 cricket. That's going to be the focus for the next, well, for this contract cycle, you know, even within the three years, there's not an ODI World Cup in that. Uh, he's obviously not in the test frame. So I, I get it from that point of view. Um, you know, I've just dropped him. So I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, have, having sort of boosted his uh, his credentials earlier in the tournament, asking like why he wasn't in the conversation. Hmm. Um, so yeah, he, he does get a bit of a of a bad rap, but you know, it was a, I guess he, he calls himself the donkey, doesn't he? That's what he said. He likes being the donkey. I'm not sure he said he likes to be the donkey, but he sort of saw himself as the donkey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like the, the James Milner, I guess, of, uh, hmm. of English cricket. And then, but then when you're, when you're cramping up like that, I mean, James Milner <laughs> wouldn't be cramping up in that heat, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we had a reasonable discussion on the Central Contracts on yesterday's pod. I think one thing we missed was one of the more surprising omissions, which was Will Jacks. You know, you're thinking, why have England introduced multi-year Central Contracts? It's because of the threat, in inverted commas, of franchise leagues being able to lure players away with financially superior deals, potentially to what they can get by touring with England at least. And Will Jacks is someone who already commands deals from everywhere. You know, he got an IPL deal, didn't go because he got injured. Uh, one of the best players in the SA20. He's played for England in all three formats in the last year. He is likely to play for England in all three formats in the next year. He's the incumbent T20 opener, actually, because Hales is no longer in the picture. Roy is no longer in the picture. Mm-hmm. Milan bats lower down or has done recently. Uh, he opened against New Zealand. So if that felt really weird, actually, that Jax didn't get a contract when there were what 29 players were given something yeah especially like judge axe would have been an interesting player in the discussion to actually replace Topley in this squad i mean yeah england actually kind of had to go with a quick because of how poor the form of wokes and curran is but like jacks yeah he was well in the conversation to play in in this world cup yeah re- really really odd that um and also it seems from the reports that it's not that he turned it down the reports have been clear that Everyone who was offered one accepted, accepted some it. sort of contract, yeah. even if some were offered three and took two or one. Uh, so yeah, that 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 is really odd. And you hope England don't come to regret it in any way because Jacks ends up being disillusioned by. It. I mean, you know, he's one of the most in demand white ball players under the age of twenty five in the world. I think. Mm, yeah, and and I guess so. There's a tour of the West Indies coming up, which Jack you'd imagine would be you know penned in for. But then I guess that clashes with the big bash, will it? So you'd hope that he doesn't take that sort of choice. You know, no indication from from Jacks that he is anything other than mm. entirely focused on playing for England. But I guess that's what happens when you contract so many players is that players will look at it and think like, you know, one of them. It's a bit like when they pick that training group at the start of COVID and you look at players who weren't in that, you're like, wow, I am so far away. And that's mm. kind of the the unintentional side effect of wanting to give as many players a thing as possible that you realize that anyone who isn't will think, hang on, am I really not as... Mm. Uh, as, as well thought of as I thought I was. Mm. I well, that is everything for today. Cheers, Ben. We'll be back tomorrow for reaction after England's game against Sri Lanka. Sports Social Podcast Network.